LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning, Steve Allen here with you this Sunday morning. Coming up at six in conversation. This week I'm joined by the stunningly gorgeous Elizabeth Hurley, who talks to me about Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We also have righteous brother Bill Medley talking about working with the Beatles. And I'm also joined by woodsman and survival expert Ray Mears who tells me all about helping the police during the hunt for Raoul Moat. But first, my best bits from the week. And last week, we talked about our favourite places in the world. My favourite... Well, I've got so many. I've always wanted to go to Machu Picchu. Always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to go... Uh, I mean, I mean, the Great Barrier Reef I would love to see. I'd like to see that. Niagara Falls, my father went to see and brought back various presents. Where they've gone to, I've got no idea. But uh, we had all this wonderful footage of the Niagara Falls. I mean, that is one of the spectacular wonders of the world. I don't know, actually. Where would the producers be? Local Kentucky, I should imagine. Be fairly excited about that. Where would you want to go to? What would be your favourite place on Earth? Do you have a favourite place on Earth? Hawaii. Oh, riveting. Hawaii, I ask you. He saw, he saw Hawaii Five-O once. He thinks he wanted to go there because of hula hula girls and coconut milk and stuff like that. I can see you in a grass skirt for some strange reason. I was trying to get these thoughts out of my mind. It's not my fault at this time of the morning. I've eaten chocolate. I can't help it. So, I don't know. Where, where, where would everybody else's favourite place be? Dean says, I saw quite a few of your pictures on the LBC website. He says, as a revenge, I'm sending you my self-portrait. I'm nine years your senior which makes me 46. How lovely. How lovely. Oh, good grief, honestly. The sofa's got to go, hasn't it, really? I mean, I don't know, that's holding together. And uh, the pictures, the, pic- oh, the pictures have got to go. Dear, obviously bought a lot of stuff in car boots, haven't you, I can see. <laughs> I love being nosy around people's houses. I'm like that. I like peering through. I never understand why people have their windows closed, you know, the curtains up. I like to see into people's sitting rooms. <laughs> I'm a bit like that, I'm afraid. Uh, Paul says, so glad you finally got to see the Grenada. You may remember I urged you to go a few years ago on its 75th anniversary. As you know, its sister cinema in Walthamstow is at serious risk after a series of attacks by vandals. And the Kingston one is rather an infamous club. We lost the Manchester one many years ago, which was designed, as many of the others, by Theodore Sisk. And we also had a corridor of mirrors. The Bernstein brothers, who were the founders and owners of the circuit, of course, moved here to Manchesterford and set up shop as Granada TV. The main reason the place closed in the first place, listening via Tinterweb. Good lad, good lad. Yes, it's, I mean, I never understand why, in God's name, somebody want to go and vandalise a cinema, you know, a build, I mean, what? Let's go around and vandalise their houses, you know. It's like when you see people, you drive into, or you pull into Richmond Station, there's all these little, little turnips who write sort of graffiti all along the side of the wall so they paint it all over and then the next day why don't they just get dogs and guns out make it so much easier you know go around and tell you what find out where you live we're now going to graffitiize your house you know just to make it just to make it more interesting for me just drives me mad i'm afraid absolutely mad do you know your coffee cup costs more than your coffee inside it i could understand that I could understand that. The cost of coffee served in a medium-sized £2.20 cappuccino amounts to a mere eight pence. That's what the coffee's worth inside. That's how much profit there is in this. But the packaging and the extras, including the cup, the lid, the stirrer, the napkin and the sugar, cost 16 pence to produce. And nearly a quarter of the £2.20 is used to pay the baristas. So that's how it works. It's interesting, isn't it? I always thought that... I mean, I I thought the the biggest profit you're ever going to get anywhere now is on... um, it's on pizzas. The average pizza costs less than 50 pence to make. 
The ingredients are cheap. It's some, it's some tomato ketchup kind of stuff, which they smear over a cheap base, which you can either make or buy in. They all come frozen. And then on top of that, you sprinkle some cheese, stick on some very thinly grated um, pineapple or some shredded beef or something like that, stick it in an oven for ten minutes, and that's it. That's a pizza. You can sell that for between seven and nine pound ninety-nine. There's so much profit on it, they can afford to stick in a bottle of fizzy and some potato wedges, because they cost nothing. You buy these things frozen, you get a ton of them for about tuppence. So that's why there's pizza places everywhere, because there's so much profit in pizzas. We used to make them. A friend of mine used to have a, a bar, and I used to go and uh, help out down there. And we used to make pizza. We used to make pizzas in there for people. The trouble is, we used to make them, because we used to really give a, a good, good sort of portion. So we'd pack them high. Sometimes you couldn't even get them in the oven. It was hilarious, actually. Uh, 84850, steve at uh, is most wanted. Why can't you find the clothes that their models were wearing in the shop? Uh, you know, when they, you remember that big advert? They're all on the Thames and they're all sitting on the boat. And they've got lots of people like uh, Katie Piper, Tracy Emin, um, Karen Elson. So it's all flown off the, uh, the shop racks, but they haven't got any more because they didn't order enough. Dimbos. Bit stupid, isn't it, really? Bit stupid. Um, they finally admitted that, uh, Alistair Campbell has admitted that round-the-clock drinking laws were a mistake and didn't lead to cafe culture. Well, the whole country could have told you that. The whole country could have told you. Embarrassing, honestly. So we're going to have it, you know, we're going to have 24-hour drinking. What? 24-hour drinking. There's a picture of the paper today, and it's Eugenie. And uh, I think she's in the Swiss ski resort of Verbier. Uh, she was on a family holiday, and um, she was with her friend, Harry Wentworth Stanley, who appears alongside her, and she was doing a Miley Cyrus. It's a bit embarrassing, actually, when you see the junior members of the royal family behaving like idiots. There's no decorum. There's no class here whatsoever. It's just a buffoon, I'm afraid. There's a, there's a bear with his paws up like that. It's a, obviously a stuffed bear in Verbier. And she's doing the, you know, the Miley Cyrus, you know, jiggling her, her booty kind of thing. Looks a bit sad, really. I remember uh, Alexander Aitken doing it some years ago. And uh, she went rapping in a, in a black music shop in Soho. It was the saddest thing I've ever seen. They looked at her in disbelief. My name is Alexander. What do you do? And it was... I thought, oh, God, give it up, for goodness sake. Uh, autumn. Well, apparently we've got a heat wave around the corner. Which actually is great, because once we've cleared the hanging baskets today, and I've, I've decided to be very generous, I've said to Mr Fazzina, you can have all the baskets. Remember I bought them, they're the ones with the clip-in things. And uh, I said, oh, have them. They wrote it £12.99 for four. I think we've got eight. And then there's all the other baskets as well. So anyway, it's, it's all going today, and then I can have a clear-up. Then I can decide what I'm going to plant out for winter. And, and I, I really don't know at the moment. I'm in two minds. I might have to consult Alan Titchmarsh on this one and say, listen... What am I planting out for winter this year? I, I might just do... I'll buy in some baskets, because they're only about £20, £22, and I'll buy in some of those. Not as many as we had last time, because I tell you, when you're watering 13 baskets, your arm's aching at the end of it. And next year, I'm definitely not doing all fuchsias. I've looked at the council. I'm very, very keen on looking to see what Westminster Council do with their hanging baskets in London. And they still seem to be doing quite well, so I'm not sure whether they feed them every time they water them, but they're doing very well. So I'm going to have a look at them next year and see what they've planted in there and see the way that they, they turn out. Because that, that's going to be my, my indicator. But they have said that we're into, uh, into a tropical heat wave because they've got sunflowers which are flourishing in uh, Penrith and Cumbria and they say it's going to become even warmer. A week of sultry tropical heat. Um, Paul O'Grady 
Actually, one of my interviews that I did with Paul was lifted for one of the uh, papers, one of the Sunday papers lifted. It was my interview. They didn't credit me. They just, they've just nicked all the lines in it. But uh, in the paper today, he slammed the celebrity witch hunt that led to Michael Lavelle's trial on child abuse charges. They're saying he's probably going to do uh, Piers Morgan. Because Piers, everybody's after him for an interview. Uh, if he can stop drinking, he can get some more money out of Coronation Street. Um, but it was, it was quite clearly, you know, something that needed clearing up in court. Director of Public Prosecutions obviously decided that, wrong though it was. And so they wasted time and money. Surprise, surprise, heiress Tamara Eccleston has revealed she's expecting a baby. Um, she's 14 weeks pregnant, just over three months after this £12 million wedding. They call her a model. She's not a model at all. She's just a very silly little girl, I'm afraid. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, looking lovely, uh, walking up a red carpet. And uh, Alan Carr, chatty man, that said he had a boozy night out with Posh and Bex. He was trying to get them to go on on his show. To be honest with you, the only reason they'll go on there is uh, if they've got something to plug. So for her, it would be fashion. For him, it could be just about anything. Um, and would they be interesting? Probably not. They're not really that interesting. They're just ordinary people. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not any, any different. And guess what? George Cole says, I hated being Arthur Daly. He's revealed he hated the character that made him famous. He cannot see the appeal of the unscrupulous wheeler dealer. He says in his autobiography, The World Was My Lobster, it used to be worrying sometimes when I got letters from young children saying that Arthur Daly was just like their dad. I wouldn't wish that on any of them. He said he behaved terribly to people who got in his way of making a quick quid. Well, he was sort of a lo lovable rogue, wasn't he? I thought that's what Arthur Daly was. They never did murder or anything like that. But um, he, his, his wife was never seen. Never seen. Um, uh, the World is Your Lobster was written by George's eldest son, Crispin, who got £25 for it. That was good, wasn't it? His dodgy schemes, including flogging uh, Cushel of handmade Italian shoes from Taiwan. After one success, he says, somebody up there likes me, Terry. Terry says, bloody good job, because nobody down there does. <laughs> Such a good line, isn't it? Such a good line. Oh, look, Mel C and Mel B out on the town. Apparently Mel B wants the Spice Girls to get back together, and she wants somebody to make a film about them. Oh, please don't. Please don't make a film about them. Please. It's not going to happen now, is it, dear? We'll have a quick break here. When we're back, we find out which fat bird from Strictly Come Dancing has been complaining about their weight. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Earlier this week, we found out that one of Britain's most loved entertainers is about to turn 90. How old is Nicholas Parsons? 90. 90 this year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, he turns 90 on October the 10th. I feel like we should wish him a happy birthday from now because he's so fantastic for 90. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But uh, he says here, I've got no intention of retiring. And of course, all these entertainments. Why would they? Why would they want to retire? Why would Des O'Connor want to retire? Why would Bruce Forsyth? Why would Ronnie Corbett? None of these people. And he said he is worried about telling the truth about his age. He says I discussed it with my agent. People may think, "Oh my God, we must stop employing him. He may drop down dead." He hasn't cured his stammer. That's okay. Everybody's got little little foibles and little things. But he celebrates ninety. He says as long as they want me, 
I'm going to keep on working. You don't retire from show business. It retires you. Once the public don't want you, it's over. You're finished. You're out. He's absolutely right. That's why I'm still here. <laughs> nice to be company anyway, apart from that. I was looking at some pictures in Hello! magazine of um, Joan Collins. Well, she looks fantastic. I mean, she just... I mean, there's pictures of her on, a, obviously, a holiday resort somewhere. It's a holiday home that they've got somewhere. It's, I mean, she looks absolutely stunning. Her and Percy. It's a, it's a lovely... It's a, it's a very classy place they've got here. I don't know where this place is, but it looks absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And uh, so they've got their, their grandchildren. But I'm telling you... Oh, it's beautiful. It really is lovely. It's got the most beautiful views. Beautiful views. She's got some lovely outfits for her age... I mean, you know, she says here, I don't like seeing a number next to my name. I think that's not me. Why should anybody be defined by their age? So she's lying here in a, in a swimsuit. Well, she looks amazing. All right, so we know she wears wigs. We know she wears hats. We know she doesn't like to go too much out in the sun. But uh, she looks fantastic. I mean, absolutely fantastic. She's a living example of how to look glamorous at her age. I mean, some of these sort of huge caftans she's wearing are beautiful. And I'm telling you, Joan Collins is tiny. You know, when you meet her, she's she's a small person. You don't, you know, she's not, but she looks so glamorous. But she told me that she's managed to perfect putting on the uh, the makeup really fast. It takes me forever to get ready in the morning. I mean, it really does. If, if I'm, I mean, th- this morning I woke up at one o'clock and I thought, if I get up now, I can have a leisurely shower. But I got so engrossed in watching the Housewives of, of Vancouver that uh, I didn't quite get the long shower I was I was hoping for. We sort of whizzed through a, a bit high speed. But I did watch The Housewives of Vancouver. My God, a couple of them are vile. There's a mother and daughter act. Oh, really disgusting people. Common as muck. Common as muck. She apparently runs some sort of business. What it is, I've got no idea. Bitching, I thought. Terrible. Really was dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. Michael Douglas wants to get back with Catherine Zeta-Jones. I hope they do. I hope they do. I would like to think that he can see out his, uh, his days. And surprisingly, Vanessa Foltz... I started droning on about how she's fat and not very good. And she thinks her weight could stop her dazzling the judges. Darling, you're way too old and haggard to be dazzling anybody at all. They can trowel the makeup on you as much as they like, but it isn't going to change. She's only 51. She looks about 70. She says, age, weight, lack of talent, but no lack of desire. I hope the judges give me a chance. However, Craig Revel Horwood is already against her. Makes it more entertaining, doesn't it, really? But as funny as that, isn't it? You know, my weight is against me. Well, slim down, fat bird. Slim down, come on. No good moaning about it. You're only on there because you're a figure of fun. You're not on there because people think you're going to be any cop at it. You know, your answer phone says, I'll do it. Although the, I, was, I was watching... I was watching the other day. I was watching something on the... Te- oh, it was X Factor. And um, for some reason, the camera focused on Dermot O'Dreary's crotch. And it's made all the papers today. It's made all the papers. And the papers are saying, trousers are too tight. Trousers are way too tight. And so we, we kind of laugh. But I remember thinking at the time, why are the cameras dwelling on that? It was, it was somebody who couldn't sing on the X Factor. So for that, you know, put all of them up there. Because some of them are on before, some of them aren't much cop. Then you've got the three drearies. Remember the, the daisy chains? OK, thank you. You're not much cop. Um, you're the one who sings. Uh, we'll, we'll take you forward if you decide to ditch the other two. I'll have to think about it. All right, I've thought about it. <laughs> Goodbye. And so off she goes. Having ditched her two friends, which I always think is very funny. Uh, always makes me laugh. I love it when they do things like that, because it's so contrived, isn't it? One minute they're all on as friends, the next minute they get rid of you because they're not remotely interested. And then yesterday, I went out to buy socks. 
Yes, we're back in the sock thing. And uh, I was very pleased. The, the hanging baskets all went yesterday. God, it looks bare. Oh, yes, I've got to respray two, two wire stands that I bought to put hanging baskets in. But I was very pleased yesterday. Mr. Pazino took everything, brought in a little truck and uh, loaded them all up in there. Oh, it's amazing how much relief it gives you. Next year, I've told you, lovely though they are, no more fuchsias. Everybody I bumped into went, no more fuchsias, Steve? No more fuchsias. <laughs> so I decided that was the way forward. I'm going to go mix baskets, because the uh, the council ones seem to last uh, much, much better. Filthiest store around here. Well, we've had a number, actually, Leicester Square. The Kentucky Fried Chicken was closed down by the council, I think, a couple of years back, because it was so filthy. Mouse droppings on the counter. That's how disgusting it was. And, uh, and the other place, Tesco in Covent Garden. You know where it is. It's in uh, just off Longacre. And uh, filthiest store you've ever been in disgusting. And know what it comes down to? Management. comes down to management and the staff who couldn't care less. This pla- Mice were running in the aisles in this Tesco store. Droppings were found near pastry and the pick-and-mix counter. And a mouse was found gnawing on raw chicken. It was also twice the normal size after gorging on ribs and sausages. That's how filthy Tesco's was up there. You know why? Filthy staff. Tesco were fined £45,000 yesterday. It's a filthy, disgusting place. They admitted food hygiene breaches. Filthy staff. Filthy management. Its lawyer said the manager had been replaced. Too bloody true. That's what, that's what people come in there. Perhaps, perhaps these sort of people don't care about hygiene. Failed. The staff failed to fix loose tiles, pipes and doors, allowing rodents accent. Filthy staff. I'd have fired them all, every single one of them out. It's like the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Anyway, with this food, you walk up into Chinatown, at this time and daytime, you'll see rats running around. Why? Filth. Filth up there. But when you actually get it in a Tesco store, and also, I seem to remember, it must be indicative of that area. Because remember the TGI Fridays, they would find a huge amount of money in Covent Garden for also having filthy access areas. There were rats and mice running about all over the place. Wouldn't catch me eating round here, I tell you. Uh, ish. Oh, God in heaven. I t- can't believe that poor old Amy Childs, not the most attractive creature, has now dressed up in a little... I don't know, she just looks pathetically stupid. She's wearing a little military-style outfit because she's launching a new fake tan range. Dear God, ladies, you don't ever want to look like Amy Childs. You really, really... I promise you, don't ever want to look like her. I mean, she looks pathetically stupid. I've never seen anybody look so dumb. Although, actually, talking of looking dumb, Sarah Harding. So sorry to mention Sarah so early on in the programme. She's in L.A., best place for her, out with her little boyfriend. And uh, she's got a bag. She's very plain, Sarah Harding. And apparently there is a rumour that she's in talks with the E-Style channel regarding a potential reality show. She doesn't do anything. Unless, unless she's drinking still, in which case, you know, picture her outside in the gutter. That'd be quite funny a few times. And um, apparently she's also keen, this is, that she obviously can't get arrested for love nor money. She's keen to follow in former bandmate Cheryl Cole's footsteps by becoming a judge on The X Factor. She said, I'd consider it definitely. Of course you would, darling, I haven't got any work. I should imagine you'd consider stacking shelves at Tesco in Covent Garden, but they're not offering either for you. It's finished, Sarah. Might as well accept the fact, love. You know, you're not going to be a pop star again, and um, nobody's interested in a reality show. Uh, I deliver in Shoreditch, and the beggars that come on to me are the same as Mark says. They try to get you into a conversation about how their life isn't very good at the moment, and they need a few quid to get a deposit for a hostel for the night, says Kev the Milkman. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm encountering more and more of these people. They're actually quite engaging in conversation, but you know that at some point they're going to get, you know, when they go, how are you, how are you going, well, it's a nice day today, isn't it, blah, 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 blah. Could you see your way clear? No, no, I can't. The answer is always no. I don't think you should, I don't think you should uh, make the problem any worse. So, uh, so I don't, I'm afraid. Um, Martin says, I bought some stuff called wheatgrass. Somebody tell me what to mix it with. I've got no idea, isn't it? One of these, do you know what wheatgrass is? What do you do? You mix it. Is it like a drink? Oh, that's right. You put it into smoothies. That's right. So if you make a smoothie, mind you, there's not much chance in Rotherhithe of you making a smoothie, let's face it. No, you don't go to Rotherhithe for smoothies. So you make a smoothie and then you add wheatgrass to it. It's like wheat germ oil, isn't it? It's sort of, it's supposed to add some goodness to it. Apparently it tastes horrible. Well, it is, until you mix it with smoothies. Because they always say smoothies are very good. Yesterday, I walked out of the building. Do you remember we had a big discussion yesterday on the programme about diabetes? And about type 2 diabetes, because there are more and more people with type 2 diabetes. I'm type 2 diabetes. Um, And uh, there's quite a number of us in this building, actually. In fact, strangely enough, I went round the other day to look for for some milk. And... um, and one of one of our my fellow diabetics, he keeps his insulin in the fridge upstairs. I was so tempted to take it and substitute it for something else, but I thought, no, 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 don't. He'll be he'll be so cross. And uh, and so I was sort of I was sort of looking at that, thinking, you know, haven't times changed where people now keep their insulin in the fridge? I used to there used to be a diabetic at LBC years ago, but he was an old fashioned type of diabetic where he actually had huge needles. In fact, frankly, it made me feel ill looking at it. And he had a bottle. He put the needle in and drew the insulin out. Now it's in the pens. And uh, so I was sort of, we were talking about that. So I walked outside the front door yesterday. And apart from the fact there were two celebrities in the reception. I didn't know who they were, but I knew they were famous because Charlie Girling was standing down there. And, and, and I get outside the front door and there's people with hula hoops and balls, bouncing their balls in front of me. And, and they were all wearing Diabetes UK T-shirts. Well, don't ask me why. There's something about diabetics that, you know, we sort of, we sort of, we do talk about diabetes because we kind of help each other out. And because it's a chronic illness. And so they said, morning. I went, morning. You know, all I, all I want to do is get out. And yesterday turned out, as you know, a disaster because Waterloo Station, the southwestern trains or south, whatever, some, whatever the company it is, going out of there, they had a problem at Barnes. So they say, would you like an apple? I said, no, thank you very much, Steve. Like an orange? I thought, you're offering a diabetic an orange? The one thing I can't have is orange juice. I mean, and they're offering an orange. And and then, did you see them? Did you? Oh, you sent them. You sent the orange juice, did you? But then I come up to the office, and Tim John is reading the news. He sent a thing out yesterday saying there's loads of fruit in the office. I thought you don't need to tell me that. And um, and they're all sitting there in bowls, which I thought was unusual to start with. And there were oranges up there. Well, I thought the last thing you're going to give a duck, perhaps it's all different. I can't eat oranges. That would drop around the bend. And so when they offered me a, an orange the other day, because I said this naff thing, I said, I'm a diabetic, made me sound so stupid. As I walked round the corner, I thought, oh, dear God, can they, if they can only see my face. Um, but they were pushing yesterday. So we've got these baskets with, you know, check if you're, you know, if you could be diabetic. If it's in the family, if your waist size is over 37 inches, you're prime candidate for type 2 diabetes. You know, um, if you uh, <coughs> if you sweat a lot in the winter, if you go to the toilet a lot, the toilet thing is, is the dead easy one. You know, if if you are weeing for the country, as they say, and uh, if you're a diabetic and you're not diagnosed, it could be a lot. I still wake up at le- least once in the middle of the night, depending on what I've had to eat for tea. If I've had something, we went out on Sunday and I hadn't eaten anything in the morning. Mike Osborne will hate this thing, although he's just as bad as I am. He's terrible. Sometimes I look at him and I think, 
Well, he'll say, oh, my reading was two. And I think, You're mad, honestly. He's, 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 I so worry. I so worry. And I went out and I had three shots of coffee. Within 15 minutes, I am sweating for the country. We're in the, uh, the book shop up at, uh, up at uh, Piccadilly Circus. And I'm reading a book and the sweat is pouring. I had to find a cool place in the shop to calm myself down. All because I hadn't eaten, but I just had three shots of coffee and it just went completely and affected me. So it's different things for different people. So perhaps some, some people can eat oranges if they're diabetic. I'm not one of them, I'm afraid. And I will never take up that invitation for a cold glass of orange juice. Don't forget, in half an hour, you'll hear from three stars this week, as Elizabeth Hurley, Bill Medley and Ray Mears all join me for In Conversation. But now, the latest news at 5.30. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning. You're listening to the best of Steve Allen this Sunday morning. Coming up in half an hour, I'm in conversation with survival expert Ray Mears, model and actress Elizabeth Hurley and Bill Medley. But for now, we talk about striking a work-life balance. 60% of women, that's, uh, that's you lot, are happy with their work-life balance. I bet they're not if you ask them really. Are you happy with your work-life balance? No, I'm not. <laughs> and now, if, if you shop on eBay, you can collect your parcel from Argos. I suppose any effort to get you into Argos to buy something, I see that as being the next retailer that's going to suffer quite badly. Because I've not been in an Argos for ages. Because I've suddenly realised that you look at the stuff in the catalogue, and then it arrives, and the, the giveaway is the box made in China, generally on the side of it. That's why people always say, can I have a look at it first? And there's a model pupil, a boy of 15... A 15, who robbed a bank. He may have acted out a video game, said the judge. The teenager burst into a branch of Barclays, pointed a fake handgun at terrified cashier whilst demanding cash. He shouted, I'm not effing messing around. I've just got out of prison after five years before fleeing with 2,200. I mean, it, it is bizarre. They said the child, because apparently at 15 you're a child now, even though you can have sex from, from 16, said acted like a real-life action video game. But nevertheless, it was a, a robbery. And uh, he's granted the teenager conditional bail until he's sentenced on October the 15th. Apparently he'd been motivated by greed and immaturity. In other words, he's a bit stupid, which is like a lot of children at 15 nowadays. I've only just got out of effing prison. And that apparently is... I mean, all I thought in banks now, they sit there and they look at them and they push a button and metal screen, screens come down immediately. See, what I want is for that person to go into the bank and he goes, I've got to give me the money. And you push a little button, the screens come down, the front door locks automatically, and poison gas is pumped in. You know, that's, that's what I would like to see. And then go, I'm terribly sorry. We didn't know. We thought he was going to shoot Mrs Leggett. She's been here for 42 years. So that, I mean, I don't know. Are people influenced by... I mean, I, I never got into video games. I was one of those, those children who actually could amuse themselves without video... We didn't have video games when I was younger. You know, we, we played with toy cars, and we played in the garden, and we went out on our bikes... But we never sat at home being insulated and isolated, playing video games. My friend, uh, Anthony, not, not Anthony Davis, uh, is uh, still waiting for his grand theft auto. He's, he's waited since God created heaven and earth. And he's so desperate. And, and now he's, he's sort of losing it a little bit. Anyway, the company promised him a refund because it never arrived. And they said they were a bit overwhelmed. And I said to him, I said, what's the point of it? You know, all the excitement's gone now. It's now so yesterday. It's not, you know, we're not really interested anymore in Grand Theft Auto. I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't play it. Having, having had it described to me, I'm amazed the thing even got on sale. 
I'm absolutely amazed at this thing where you sort of shoot people and steal cars. It's actually on sale. I thought the whole idea was we're supposed to be playing down the idea of people using guns. Although, you know, when you look at this 15-year-old who is a model pupil, well, quite clearly not, he's obviously very stupid, who goes into a bank and starts swearing. And I, I mean, what do you think he was going to get away with a million? What was he going to do? Hide it in his train set box. You know, what do you do with somebody like that? You send them, presumably, to Feltham, Young Offenders Institute, where they mix with the wrong sort of people. They end up doing, you know, little, little gangs. I do like the idea, though. There's a bloke in the paper today. His name is... Wait a minute. I shall tell you in a moment. Uh, Kashim Kia Thomas. He comes from Hackney, East London. And uh, Zilvinus Vitkas of Ilford. They're in the paper. Why are they in the papers today? Because they're spitters. Because they're the people who they do that spitting. Real scum of the earth. Anyway, they've been fined £160. Because the place where they did it, Waltham Forest, which has become the first council to bring in spitting as illegal... And uh, and somebody said, I think, it, I mean, it is disgusting, unacceptable. I think one of their, a friend or somebody like that, said it's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, this is, uh, you know, why why we've got that. I mean, Thomas's grandmother said it was ridiculous to fine and prosecute her grandson for spitting when everybody does it. This uh, Patricia Thomas, rather stupid at the age of 57, thinks it's OK to spit. So next time you see Patricia Thomas on the street, stand in front of her and spit on her shoes. Because she thinks it's quite normal. She thinks it's a normal thing you do. No, low-life people spit. There's a bloke who works... I'll tell you this for a fact. He works in WH Smith's in Twickenham. And he stands round the side, because we see him every day, at the little road that leads next to Paul Cooper's greengrocer's shop, and he smokes a cigarette. He's obviously an addict. And he sits there, and every time he smokes, he goes... And he spits on the ground. Every time... He must do it 20 times in the course of a cigarette. Seriously, I mean, it's absolutely appalling. So when you see these two little, these two little pathetic excuses here, it is, you know, and then you get the grandmother going, it's, uh, everybody does it, so that's okay. Well, I tell you, so everybody comes around shooting you, that's all right, is it? Let's make shooting legal. I've never spat on the street in my entire life. I think it is the most disgusting thing ever. Absolutely dreadful. So I'm glad they've been fined, and perhaps we can take away the stupid grandmother as well. 57 years old, but unfortunately with the intelligence of a peanut, I'm afraid. You know, spitting's OK. Everybody does it. That's not the excuse, is it? The whole idea is you say to somebody, we've got to stop it. I don't want to stand at a bus stop with some person spitting. They do it all the time. Cyclists do it. They're the lowest of the low. Cyclists, cyclists, spitting. Disgusting. It really is awful. Alan says, as far as I know, screens only come down in banks if somebody attempts to jump over the counter. Jump over the counter? I don't mean jump over the counter. I've never, never been in a bank yet where they've actually got a counter you can jump over. They're all behind bulletproof glass, aren't they, now? And you put your thing under the little tray. I've never... Jump over the counter? Never heard of such a thing. Never heard of such a thing. Uh, the BBC should screen children's shows after 7pm instead of leaving youngsters to watch unsuitable mainstream channels in the evening. Have you seen some of the stuff that's now masquerading as children's programmes? It's generally hosted by presenters over the age of 30, some over the age of 35, way too old to be doing children's television, and uh, some of it's very adult humour because they're not actually in touch with little children. It's only if they're doing little children's programmes. By the time you get to Dick and Dom, the only act with two... Uh, well, certainly not Doms in it. Um, it's, it kind of is one of, those, uh, one of those sort of things that you look at it and you think you're doing adult humour. Even though they, they tried to bring them onto adult television and they, they died on their proverbial, I'm afraid. It just didn't, didn't work at all. I just don't quite understand why people spit. Why don't they swallow? 
you know, carry a little bottle of water with. I carry a little bottle of water. I've got some Highland Spring here, which is my sport bottle. And it's got a little, little flip top on it. And you go... And it's lovely. You know, makes me feel very sporty. You know, I feel like I put on a little pair of shorts and go running up and down the road. But uh, not with my bruised legs, I'm afraid. I really do. I look like a car crash at the moment. I've got bruises. I've been there for ages. And I looked at them the other day thinking, I've got one strange mark on my leg. I was going to show my producer the other day, but I suddenly thought, no, that would be a little bit inappropriate. Don't want to visit HR just yet. But uh, I was sort of, you know, maybe next year, I don't know. And I was sort of thinking, because I've got this little mark come up. It's like a little sort of little red thing. And I swear to God, it's getting bigger. I was going to mark it with a felt-tip pen so I could sort of watch it grow. And I'm thinking, I need to go to the doctor to get it, get it looked at. And so I've got on Saturday, and hopefully you have as well, your flu injection for winter. You need to get your flu jabs because now is the time. You'll find all the independent chemists will be offering flu jabs. You need to get it done. If you're an at-risk person, elderly or diabetic, or you've got some other illness which means you're in the at-risk category, then you get it for free. And you just make an appointment with the doctor. So I've got mine Saturday, which is lovely. Um, Warren says, did you see that BA sent its maiden voyage of the A380 double-decker to Los Angeles yesterday? How many passengers? 460. 460. It's amazing, isn't it, really? I'm still amazed by aircraft. I know it sounds really, really dumb. But I'm still fascinated by aircraft and, 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 and actually getting things up in the air. And they stay there. Always very interesting, that. So thank you, Warren, very much indeed. I didn't see it, but I should imagine it's absolutely wonderful. Absolutely. 460 passengers. <sighs> Lovely. Uh, here she is, former public school girl, Victoria Aitkin. That's the one with the uh, father, the disgraced one who went to prison. Um, she apparently... Uh, British music producers uh, have snubbed her. One said, your accent is really strange because you get... My name is Victoria, what can I do? And it was, it, was, it was really awful. She said it was not an issue abroad. All the record labels I'm side to are outside the UK, including a Dutch label and a German label. Uh, she's a bit of a waste of space, actually, Victoria Aitken. She's had her five seconds of fame. Go away. Stay away. Don't bother coming back again. Um, what's it like being a beautiful sex kitten? I only ask the question. There's nobody around here that is applies to. I have to tell you, I'm surrounded, you know. I mean, in terms of deeply unattractive, it goes to sort of, it's a one to five kind of thing. You know, you're not going to be looking at anybody in the in the street, not that I'm working with anyway, that could ever be described as a sex kitten. You know, old moggy, yes. You know, if you're looking at Cats the musical, I'm looking at Deuteronomy in here. You know, we're looking at the grizzled old cat. You're looking at the at the at the at the, at the Elaine Page one. Memory all alone in the... The old, razzled old cat out there. That's what I'm looking at. Not looking at anything that could be described as a beautiful sex kitten. I mean, would you find that patronising? If somebody said to you, you are a beautiful sex kitten. I know if you're wearing hashtag, you're probably used to hearing that all the time. But, you know, for the other poor old moggy in there, there's a mental health nurse in the paper today who faces being struck off for sending a series of sleazy texts to a woman patient suffering from depression. I would have thought if you sort of describes... I mean, admittedly, I would be slightly wary if somebody sent me a text saying you're a, be a beautiful sex kitten. And it would never happen, would it? No, it's not going to happen. I know that. But uh, apparently, in another, uh, the nurse said he was jealous after seeing the woman's dog Gizmo licking a toe. Who calls a dog Gizmo? It's an odd name, isn't it? But anyway, so anyway, she sort of, she sort of complained about it. 
And and I think, you can't really say anything to anybody nowadays, can you? I mean, if, if I say to the producer, God knows you're amazingly attractive. You know, A, I'd be lying. <laughs> and B, he'd probably burst into tears. You know, and would probably take out an injunction. But it's But you can't say anything to anybody now. Nobody seems to like compliments. Nobody wants to be complimented because they think it's an attack on their being. And so, so that's why. Whereas, in fact, I shouldn't imagine the producers ever had any compliments or anything like that. Anyway, so, uh, and, and then a friend of mine reminded me. He said, I remember listening two years ago, he said, I worked on a, a station in Manchester. And he said, I was driving the car into work one morning, he said, and you were talking about Little Mix on your programme. Because I mentioned Little Mix yesterday, because they've, they've got a series of dolls that were brought out that are now remaindered in Poundland. And I thought I'd go and buy a set, because they've got to be worth you know, at least the meltdown plastic value, in years to come. And he said, you were saying, oh, Little Mix are in the building today. He said, and you said, this is what I apparently said. Um, he said, uh, he said I was listening to you. He said, and you said, Little Mix are in the building. They're probably in to renew the cleaning contract. He said, I nearly drove off the road. I said, very cruel. Because they haven't managed to chart very well at all, have they, Little Mix? They've had some things that have that have bobbed around a bit, but nothing, nothing particularly, uh, nothing particularly great. It's unfortunate, really, as they were meant to be the next big thing in music. Well, let's take a quick break. When we're back, we'll talk about the man who loves his kids. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Early this week, Peter Andre was back in the news. There is one word that sums up the music of Peter Andre. Hellish. I don't know. I mean, are there any DVDs? Dawn would know that. She's bought his albums. Are there any DVDs of Peter Andre in concert? That would be one to, to buy for the archive, I think. Uh, Steve, I give up. What on earth is a mental health patient meant to look like? They're just ordinary people that have a mental illness rather than a physical one. Yes, but this one is an outfit. It comes with a, a you know, blood-stained this and blood-stained that. I mean, what they're trying to do is sort of say it's, you know, it's, you know, mad people. But as opposed to saying mad, they've used the word mental, which, of course, uh, you cannot do. You cannot do. I mean, a bit stupid, actually. Uh, Peter Andre's agent, patience of a saint, percentage of a Satan. Yes, I mean, she's done, she's done really well, actually. I mean, she has done well. If anybody can turn things around, she turned it around for Jordan. She's very clever, actually, the agent, very clever. But eventually, you know, Peter Andre is just going to implode. Without, without the cameras there following him around, I haven't seen... Have they started transmitting the 60-minute makeover? Because apparently, you know, Peter Andre is notoriously late. It's just sheer rudeness, I'm afraid. Just sheer rudeness. I mean, like me turning up for this programme, they go, it starts at four o'clock. I'll be in about quarter past, if that's all right with everybody. Like the producer, he goes, well, I'll, I'll be with you shortly. He goes, well, we're on air now. He goes, well, I'll be there in a minute. Don't, don't push me. All right. Otherwise, it's bullying. Uh, Matt Goss is on uh, somebody's radio show on Sunday. Will he be listening? Uh, he's coming out from the cupboard under the stairs, the gossy room, and crooning under some selected stairwells in London. Oh, no, he'll... I mean, the trouble is, he has, he's, he's deserted this country for America. He doesn't give a stuff about this country. But he's, he's trying to branch out... And he's tried it before, and it didn't work. They were selling... I remember when we went on and we looked at the, uh, the dates at the Royal Albert Hall. For, for so many hundred pounds, you could get to meet him and have a photo taken with him. You know, which is probably... If you were a, a fan of, of Bross and stuff like that. 
But uh, it's the fact that people come crawling back to this country after they've walked out on it because their career's finished here. They go somewhere else and then they come back expecting us to sort of believe that they're now some superstar. He's had a few items written about him in a Las Vegas freebie paper. But the idea of bringing over 30 showgirls, either somebody's risking or wasting an awful lot of money or he's paying for it himself. Because I don't know how he's surviving. He's only working two days a week in this place. He comes on stage. These girls um, disport themselves in various... The producer would love it. He'd absolutely love it. They're sort of, you know, raunchy. They're a bit like the Pussycat Dolls. And they they said they're going to bring 30 of these girls over. Well, who wants that? It's of no interest to people. If you're trying to sell an album, why would you want to sort of sell that kind of it? And also, who's paying for them to come over here? And are they not working? So he's obviously coming over midweek because he'll need to be back there for Friday to do do the show again. Be interesting, wouldn't it? You know the uh, the Red Squirrels making a reappearance back in this country. I watched an Antiques Roadshow the other day, and they had one of those favourites for the Victorians, which was stuffed animals in boxes. And the Victorians liked particularly, and there was Potter's Museum of Curiosities, where he was a taxidermist, and he would stuff kittens, um, rabbits, and they were all put in tableau. So you've got kittens at a tea party holding cups of tea. Then he had some uh, red squirrels on the television the other day, which were playing poker in, a, in a, a, a room scenario. And I think we had the rabbits playing cricket. I went to the museum, and I think it's down, it's down near some famous place, near a castle somewhere. Might be Arundel Castle, I think, Potter's Museum of Curiosities. Well, it was a great place. But that's why, looking at the, uh, at the little red squirrel here, because if you remember, the, uh, the grey squirrel saw off the red squirrel, so the red squirrels practically disappeared. So you had all the, 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 the grey things, which were nasty. But anyway, now it's actually paying off. And uh, now there's, uh, there's a lot of them. And this man here, who lives in Choppington in Northumberland, Mr Gallagher, built a squirrel box. I've never even heard of such a thing, because they generally nest in chimneys. And so he's built this squirrel box, which is quite sweet, really. And so it lifts up the lid and dives it, because they're so clever. They're so clever. They really are. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Let's talk about Gantz Hill. I know Gantz Hill so well. So well. And when we used to... Yes, one, two, three. Un, deux, trois. Einstein, drei. And um, I don't know what that was, actually. That was the bit that bypassed me. But Gantz Hill I know very well because my, uh, my uncle, Bill, used to have a butcher shop at Gantz Hill. And my grandmother, on my mother's side, used to... On, yeah, on my mother's side, used to live above it. And I used to sometimes go round and stay there. And when we've done the shows down at the Queen's Theatre in Hornchurch, I have to go directly past where we used to live. And at the very end of our little parade of shops, just down from Gantz Hill, there was a, a car garage. I can't remember the other shops at all, but I remember our one. My uncle's was an old-fashioned butcher shop, you know, literally sawdust on the floor. And you'd fold the paper up and hang it in the window at night. It was a sp- certain way of wrapping the paper up. And my uncle had a big thumb. Biggest thumb I've ever seen in my entire life. And the reason was pushing down on the meat to cut it. And his thumb got bigger and bigger over the years. And it was literally, it was a huge oversized thumb. I don't know why I told you that, actually. But it, every time I go past Gantz Hill, I always think, oh, God, we used to go and play. We used to go to the big cinema right in the middle of Gantz Hill. So sort of, I'm almost marooned in the middle. I don't think I ever went to it. But I do remember playing there and going down to uh, Gidea Park. All those places, lovely. There's a new book out about the Nazi women who were every bit as evil as the men. It's called Hitler's Furies, German Women in the Nazi Killing Fields. It's by Wendy Lauer. And uh, I don't know why anybody would have ever thought that it was uh, it was just men 
who were committing these atrocities. Women as well. Well, I say women, looking at these hard-faced so-and-sos. You know, luckily all, all dead. And then there's the story of Stephanie MacDonald. Um, <laughs> Stephanie MacDonald Walker was left feeling violated and she came home to discover a note from a company, British Gas, explaining that they'd uh, forced their way in while she was at work. People always feel violated. Apparently she burst into tears. Um, of course, if it had been gay British gas workers, they'd have sort of laid the table and put a quiche in the oven. But unfortunately, because it was the other ones, unfortunately they were also in the wrong house because she doesn't have any gas. So it was a bit of a pointless exercise. Again, it's, it's the case of they've made a bit of a mistake. Yesterday they revealed uh, that they've entered the homes of 23,000 people. She only discovered it was the case when she returned home last week to find a card stating, we entered your home with a warrant to either fit a pay-as-you-go meter or disconnect your gas-stroke-electricity supply. In other words, it's, it's another customer who's fallen behind with their bill. I got a letter once from, from a bank. I was living in Staines. I got a letter from the bank saying, uh, we're halting your account and your chequebook because you're overdrawn and we've warned you about this before. It was quite a terse letter. Trouble is, it wasn't for me. Because I wasn't with this particular bank. So they had my name, my address, not my bank. And it was, it was Barclays, and I've never been with Barclays, as far as I remember. And, uh, and so I phoned them up, and of course, if you did what I should have done is gone down and created merry hell. How dare you? I could, in fact, I did, I remember when I phoned up, I think I did say something along the lines of, this, this actually could have gone to an elderly lady who could have been quite frightened by your tone in the letter. And, uh, and the person at the other end did apologise. But I began to... I'll tell you, it was brilliant one time. There was a... You know, sometimes people in call centres are a bit abrupt and they don't, they don't really care about you. But I remember phoning up once to talk to somebody about, um, about a bank statement that had come through and it was wrong. They hadn't done something. And so I phoned up to complain bitterly and I was in a foul mood. I phoned up and I'd waited ages and eventually push one, push three, go on to sub-level three, push 12, push... Three, and eventually you get somebody... And, uh, and they were in this country, which was a bit of a miracle to start with. And I remember saying to her, I said, I'm really, really angry that this has happened. It's so-and-so. And as opposed to her going, yeah, all right, whatever. She said, oh, I know how you feel. She said the same thing happened to me. And by two minutes into this conversation with her, I started feeling sorry for her. Because she'd had the same experience that I had. And it was so clever. They'd obviously been trained. Listen, if somebody comes on, just agree with them and go, listen, this is, I agree with you. It's absolutely awful. She said, I'm, she said, I'm so sorry. She said, but this happened to me as well. She said, and I, woo. And I felt really, really awful about it. Really, really awful about it. And so in the end, I, I put the phone down, feeling so sorry for this poor woman. Whereas, in fact, she just turned the conversation around. It was brilliant. So in the end, British, uh, British Gas said, we're very sorry. As soon as we saw there was no meter, we left and secured her home. They offered her £150 with a credit on her account. Um, it said it had applied to the courts for a warrant to enter the flat in error because it held the wrong metre reference for the home. Well, at least you got 150 quid out of it. That's all right, isn't it? You know, they, they secured the home. Everything was all right. All right. Does being on statins make you forgetful? God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Pravastatin was found to have an adverse effect on rats. And, because uh, I'm on uh, Avrastatin. I think. I think I'm still on Avrostatin. Oh, pain, it really is. It's uh, responsible for so many dreadful, dreadful things, I'm afraid. But uh, but we're all on it. Um, wait a minute, I'm going to sneeze again. I'm going to sneeze again, and it's good. Thank you. Do you know, I keep doing that in the studio. There's a lot of dust in here all of a sudden. Oh, got to laugh, haven't you? Got to laugh. Another one here. 
says, uh, I've had my uh, my gallbladder removed. <laughs> it's a cheery thought to share with people, isn't it? But LBC has been my companion through my first night after surgery. Good grief. Grief. Uh, hope you do the switch on at Twickenham this year, says little Julie. I'm booking tickets for one of the ghost walks at Hampton Court. Have you done it? No, I like the, the rooftop tour. When you get the opportunity to do the rooftop tour, do that. And remember, if you join Historic Royal Palaces, then you get a discount in the, in the restaurant there. I think you get 10% discount in the gift shop. It's fantastic. It really is very good. Matt Goss uh, is doing, according to, uh, to Barbara, three or four nights at the Café de Paris in Leicester Square. The tickets were going for about £80 for standing room only. It's to launch his new album and bring his Vegas show to London. Will she keep it there, she says. Having been to Vegas, his show does not pull in crowds, as it's in an area called Cleopatra's Barge. Hardly a headliner, dear. And have you noticed, you never see him without a hat these days. All that bleach paying its price. And yes, she says, I'm not a fan. No, I mean, I, to be honest with you, bringing his Vegas show to London makes it sound like it's all showgirls and it's magic and all the rest of it. It's just him with a five-piece band on stage, I think, or nine, I can't remember how many pieces it is, and some uh, so-called showgirls. But they're not. They're sort of raunchy dancers. They're sort of doing that lot of hip-thrusting kind of stuff. Which, uh, But it's funny, isn't it? He's doing the Café de Paris in Leicester Square, which is literally it's very tiny, whereas the last time he came here, he did the Royal Albert Hall. They obviously thought they couldn't risk it. I don't know how it did last time. I, I, really, I really wasn't sure about it. From California, my good friend has found out he and his partner are having a baby girl. He's considering a traditional regal name. What are your suggestions? Oh, I think over here a regal name would be Chardonnay uh, or something like, um, what else would be a... Chantel would be a, a very regal name. You know, for an Amer- I don't know, actually. I don't know what American girls' names are. I, I just... I watched some very odd programme the other day which has got some man going... Almost like give a five dollar twenty-five. He's like an auctioneer, but he's, he's rolling his R's and doing. It's quite clever. I can't quite fathom out how he's doing it. And he opens up these places, and people bid on what they can see inside these storage units. And there's a ghastly woman and her husband. They really are horrible. They they could be thrown together with the. Uh, oh, actually, it was so funny. Joan Rivers was on the television the other day doing something for the X Factor. And because she's quite ancient now, she's a bit slower than she used to be. But she was talking about a group of people on the television who make lots of money but have no talent. She said, but that's the Kardashians for you. I mean, they really have. I remember saying to somebody, who are they? They're nobodies. Absolutely, they have no talent at all. And yet they must be absolutely coining it. Absolutely coining it. Which is funny because the whole fact they're all vile. They've done well for a talentless family. Well, those were my best bits from the week. I'll be back tomorrow morning live at four, so I look forward to talking to you then. Don't forget you can download all the podcasts from the LBC website. Go to lbc.co.uk. And you can always follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. Coming up next, I'm in conversation with Ray Mears, Elizabeth Hurley, and the legendary singer that is Bill Medley. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But now, the latest news at six.